Welcome back. Nice to see you. I hope you had a good 4th of July Independence Day in America, and it could be Independence Day for all of humanity. Uh, it's not just a national thing. Um, so I hope that was good for you. It's degenerated into hot dog and barbecue day, but it used to be about independence. And there's a real intense need for independence from the mind programming at the moment. We'll have a lot to talk about today. There was a shooting in America that we can look at. There was a mother sentenced to prison for her baby dying supposedly because of uh, a vegan diet, raw vegan diet. And Alex Jones at InfoWars, who I think has done a lot of wonderful work, had a, one of his writers put up a story. Something The headline was something like, Baby Dies from No Meat, or something like, you know, really misguiding headline. Probably not intentional. But the programming all over gets more and more intense and the need for humans to become self-aware and conscious is really urgent at this point. We have a lot to look at. So this is another conversation with Gabriel, with Dr. Gabriel Cousins, and we're waiting to see what he wants to get into and we'll hand it over to him right now. Thank you, Dr. Cousins. Okay, well, I'm very happy to be here. We start out with a little prayer. Merging the heavens, earth, and heart and mind. And I think we need to note in America, the heart and mind has been shattered. And this is a prayer to help bring the connection together again. Because we need both mind and we also need the heart and the feeling part of it as one. So this is the prayer for activating that energy. So we're going to start with a little dance, which is get us into a little spiritual joy, no matter what's going on inside. You better can cope with it if you're in spiritual joy rather than in depression and grief. So the uh, way we meditate is focus on the name of uh, a mantra, I use the name of God, and Moses received from burning bush. Yoda, an in-breath, and the out-breath. an in-breath, and the out-breath. Yoda from the base, up to the heart. A from the heart, out to the world. Wah from the base, up to the uh, third eye, and then hey out to the world. We just simply keep repeating it until our mind is quiet. Then we dance to get the energy going, the spiritual joy going, and then we focus back onto uh, a little bit of meditation, which we'll do for a few minutes, and I'll give a guided meditation um, for again healing the planet. So that's the a little bit of agenda, but I invite you all to dance with me. Get a little bit out of your head into your heart. So let's get a dance going.
Okay. So now, just focusing my eyes with the energy, help you go into meditation. And here we go. Yo. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And now we move a little bit into the visualization part. So feel the energy coming up from your base all the way through what I call Jacob's Ladder to the multi-leveled universes until you reach the center point of God. Multiple levels of consciousness above us. And when we reach that, there's a release of this white progressive energy that swings around. And we're standing on planet Earth, comes around the bottom of the planet Earth and comes up through all the energy centers, up to our feet, and into the lighted gland, which is the sacred feminine space located about two fingers below your belly button and about three fingers deep inside. And there's an explosion of the sacred feminine energy. The divine sound begins to activate our whole body and it begins to move up, up again to the multi-levels, reaching that center point of God, creating a release of another downflow of energy coming straight down to the crown, activating the pineal gland, which is the center point of the sacred masculine energies. And with that, there's a burst of light expanding and filling the whole body with light. And those two energies, the sacred feminine and sacred masculine, come together, meeting uh, slightly uh, in the thymus heart area. There's even a greater explosion of energy in this white fluorescent light, like a column. And as this column expands, there's an activation of our own spiritual sovereignty. That energy fills us with spiritual sovereignty, and from that spiritual sovereignty, we have regained the power to choose not to cooperate. We do not give consent or empower. I do not give consent to what is going on in the world today and who's trying to destroy the world. I don't give consent. And then as that spreads even further, you see it burning up all the uh, <clears throat> dark force, <clears throat> electromagnetic uh, uh, patterns, the graphene oxide, the graphene hydroxide, and uh, all the nanobots, and all the networks that have been planted in our body that hook us up to external control. All that is destroyed. And we are free to be the truth of who we are. And then that freedom it begins to expand out in this column of uh, white pearlescent light that spreads and, and that explosion was of love reaching out to the whole world, but the love that burns up the darkness. 
and it begins to expand into the solar system. And from the solar system into the galaxies. And it's uh, uh, closing up, burning up all the interdimensional holes where dark forces, demonic forces that have been coming in. And it goes a little further. And now uh, we've reached the uh, multiple, multiple universes and then finally into the nothing. So that is all going on. All the dark forces have been transformed or burned up by this incredible, powerful, white, pearlescent light. And now we return to that light in our heart where the sacred masculine uh, light and the sacred feminine song come together in the energy of love. And there's an explosion of this white, pearlescent energy again, filling our body with light. It begins to expand around the globe touching all the humans, touching all the animals, touching all the primates, and everybody's being filled with light. And finally, it creates a globe around the globe of this incredible transformative light. And then that light shines down onto the planet, filling all the humans with this transformative light and all the primates. And all the mammals are filled with light. And all the fish and all the birds and all the insects and all the trees and all the plants. And including, ultimately, the living planet. And in that process, as we're filling all with light, we are upgrading the consciousness on the planet. And just feel that upgradement. Okay, and now slowly come out of the visualization. Here we are. And I was listening to what Richard said uh, about different things. So uh, I was uh, disappointed to hear about this mother who got uh, sentenced to prison. If I understand the case, and it may have been not the same case, uh, but this took place in Florida, and it was a couple, and they decided to, uh, without really education, decided to feed their uh, their baby only to life, and the baby got getting smaller and smaller and sicker and sicker, and they continued, and uh, and then uh, they, they, they didn't ask for consultations. They didn't ask for help. There's just so much help available. So, but they, they persisted in their ignorance and the baby died. Now, people who are anti-vegan say, oh, because I was vegan. But the truth is, that's 100% inaccurate. The truth is, one of my uh, master's students actually did uh, two of my master's students did a study, and they followed vegan mothers uh, during pregnancy who were uh, 100% vegan, 80% live food, and their children at birth 
were in the upper one-third of height and weight, which is how you measure, you know, the health of a child, basically, you know, height and weight. Uh, if you come out like a runt, well, that sort of suggests that the diet may be not so good. But these were in the top third. But then they follow for the next four years. And over the next four years, the height and weight of the children uh, turned out to be closer to the upper 80%, so or the top 20% of height and weight. That puts you at the top, okay, top 20% of healthy kids. Because if we measure, again, World Health Organization height and weight is a pretty good measure. Now, what did I just say? I just said people on a, get the point, healthy vegan diet do quite well. Babies do quite well, as, as well as adults. But you've got to know what you're doing. So one of the problems is all children, as I point out in my book, all babies need to have a B12 supplement. And my suspicion is these kids didn't get that at all if it's just fruits and vegetables. If it's the same case I'm thinking about, uh, that, again, I read about a few years ago. Okay, so they didn't get B12, and I don't believe the parents gave supplements. I may be wrong, but basically, in today's world, as I write my book, Conscious Parenting, we can raise really healthy kids who do really well in school and do, you know, good brain function, but they need supplements. Actually, everybody needs supplements. All the children born are deficient in vitamin D. They're all deficient in B12. So meat can give you B12, but you can also get B12 from bacteria that are growing in meat that are grown in, you know, laboratories, and then you get a B complex, including that uh, <clears throat> special human act of B12 in your B vitamin. It's easy. There's several companies that do that. No problem. But if you aren't educated, you got a problem. So, my advice to any vegan parents with your, you know, with raising vegan kids, you've got to do uh, some research because it does take a little bit more attention. Now, I'm not saying American kids who are eating meat are necessarily healthy because we, over 50% of the kids, believe it or not, uh, today, um, even as teenagers, have some level of chronic disease. That's abnormal. And that's partly related to the all-American diet. So just want to make that statement about veganism. Now, I'm going to make another statement about veganism. Um, I've been vegan for vegan and live food for about 48 years. When I was a uh, National Football Hall of Fame middle linebacker guard, uh, I could do 60 push-ups and about seven pull-ups. Okay. That was better than everybody else, but it was okay. After I became vegan, uh, no, that was at 20 years old, and then at 60 years old, on the sixth day of a, uh, of a juice fast, we, uh, I did 601 push-ups. 
And now at 79, I'm doing about 2,000 push-ups a few times a week. What am I saying? Oh, and also when I play football, I could barely touch, I couldn't touch my toes. I couldn't sit cross-legged. So now at 79, I can touch my toes, sit cross-legged, do lots of yoga, different uh, postures, but also do the you know, 2,000 push-ups and do, well, I got, I've gotten up to 100 pull-ups. So veganism doesn't make you weak and it doesn't make you weak with age. So how, how come? I'm successful. Well, I pay attention. I pay attention to how much protein I need, you know, how much fat, carbohydrate. We've got to pay attention to what we're doing or you don't succeed because veganism, uh, the way I relate to it, is not a religion. It's a way of eating that I believe is superior for spiritual life and also uh, all aspects of your life. So I'm not going to give a whole talk on veganism today. I could if there's enough next time if there's enough. But I'm, I'm really want to make a point here. Yes, and I also want to make the point that vegan men and women live about 3.6 years old, more than meat eaters and vegan men live 7.3 years longer the meat-eating men, and vegan women live 4.2 years longer than meat-eating women. So clearly it's superior. Clearly being vegan, you have less heart disease, cancer, stroke, uh, and clearly diabetes. Uh, Meat-eaters have uh, 35 to 50% more diabetes. So clearly there are great advantages. Now, does that mean people who are vegan are bad people? Does that mean people, according to their constitution, who eat very lightly are, are but, but they don't, but they eat meat, fish, chicken? Are they bad people? No, this is the wrong attitude. We're all in the transition back to the, the I'm going to say messianic diet, which is a vegan diet. Uh, and eat live food vegan diet. So I have a whole you know, lots of things to say about that, but I'm trying to make a different point here. One of the things I've noted that concerns me in our society today is people just really get off on creating polarity. And um, from a spiritual point of view, all brothers and sisters are my brothers and sisters. I don't care what their diet is, um, but I, you know, it's easier for me to associate uh, with people who are really concerned about their diet because I know a lot about diet and people ask questions and it's, you know. Um, so the, the point I'm making is we don't judge people by the color of their skin. We don't judge people by their diet. It reflects different levels of consciousness different physiologies, we have to be very careful. Chromosome 19, uh, according to Stanford, has three different sites. One of uh, how much protein you need, how much fat, and how much carbohydrate you need. And what we see here is is, is that there is a great genetic vari- variability. Uh, I believe that uh, everyone with the proper training 
trial and error can succeed at being a vegan. For some people, it's really easy. For some people, it's harder. Okay. Um, but the first step is to be conscious. And, I, and that's kind of what I want to say. If we start getting prejudiced because somebody isn't vegan and they're not part of your religion, that's not good. That, that has done more damage uh, to the vegan reputation. And then things like this, uh, the, the mother feeding kids just fruits and vegetables, being fruitarian with it. The kids aren't really, aren't really designed to do that. And they do need, every, really almost every child today needs some level of supplement to be really, really healthy, including the vitamin D, uh, which is somewhat hard to get from non-animal source. It is possible. We have it in mushrooms. We have it in different things. Okay, so that's just an overview of, of the question. But the big thing is where I'm always looking for the coherence. I'm never looking at this has to be perfect just the way it is. And I think that that's, I think, the, the important point I'm trying to make. So I have taught in 42 different countries. I have programs all over the world. You know, eventually people keep moving in the right direction. And when I say right, you know, towards the messianic diet, people move at their own rate. Everybody explores in different ways. And what I encourage people who are live food vegans is to be a very thoughtful about supporting people in their transition rather than uh, try to be uh, acting morally superior when actually it doesn't really reflect well. So those are little insights on some of that. Um, and I, you know, I could go on and on, you know, vegan, vegan women have quarter of the osteoporosis and vegan men have half the osteoporosis and I mentioned the heart attacks is uh, 30, 32% more heart disease and 35 to 50% more diabetes, type 2. It goes on and on. It's not a healthy thing. Uh, meat eaters have 26% uh, of meat eaters of high blood pressure versus 2% of vegans. Okay, we got it. Okay, it's a healthy diet. There's just more going on to life than that. And that actually uh, leads into what I had a plan to, to really uh, talk about today. And what is the most important thing for, what I'm going to say, longevity, a healthy longevity? What's the most important thing? Is it being bigger? Is it being a breath area? Well, maybe that's not even the top five, which in fact it isn't. It's number six of the, the factors. The most important factor, according to a variety of research, is relationship. Think about that for a second, then I'll explain this a little bit more depth. Think about the most important thing for longevity is healthy uh, uh, relationship. 
So what they found is, uh, and they did this with married people because that, that's a defined relationship. I'm not saying people aren't can't be in a long-term relationship or not being married. That's not the point. I'm just using the standard terms and the standard research. And what they found was that uh, uh, couples that were in a long-term relationship and a loving long-term relationship uh, had 49% less mortality. 49% less mortality. Nothing comes close to that. Okay? General social relationships gives you about 45% less mortality, meaning you're a member of this and you're working with people closely and you have good friends. They talk about having at least two good friends and, and uh, at least five close friends. And that's really interesting data. So that's kind of uh, a starting point for our considerations. Now let's look at it a little further. The research also shows that the well-being, life satisfaction is the term they use, of your partner plays a bigger role in your longevity than your life satisfaction. That's kind of shocking. So if your your partner has a low life satisfaction, that's going to infect you in in a negative way. But the most important thing is your life satisfaction has less impact on your longevity than the life satisfaction of your partner. And that's, to me, was like mind-blowing. It's like, okay. So uh, we're seeing some research that's beginning to kind of wake us up in in different ways. Uh, Now let's also talk about another piece of that is that What's with this with relationship being so powerful? Okay. So when we kind of go a step deeper, we see that a loving relationship stimulates oxytocin. Oxytocin just isn't what women get when they're breastfeeding. Everyone has oxytocin. And when there's loving relationship and mostly eye-to-eye connection, doesn't work over the Internet. Relationships over the Internet did not make any difference, which was interesting. Um, you stimulate the oxytocin. Now, what does oxytocin do? Well, oxytocin does a lot of things. It's the feel-good hormone. It's also the longevity hormone. It suppresses cortisol, which is a stress stress hormone. When cortisol is suppressed, HDH, uh, human growth hormone, and um, other uh, hormones are stimulated and improve our overwhelm, in a sense, our overwhelm being. And, and I think that's the, the important thing is the melatonin is also stimulated. Both are anti-aging. Okay, but what else happens? Okay, we're, we're talking about uh, most important in our world today 
is the stimulation of new brain neurons. Oxytocin release stimulates brain growth. That's kind of important to know because the brain shrinks about 1% per year and now we're reversing it. So oxytocin, I'm going to mention two other things. Fasting and meditating all increase brain size. And I'm not going to get into all the details, but it's well published and well known. It also decreases pain. It increases the dopamine expression, which is the pleasure neuron and love and trust. And it decreases uh, all the chronic diseases, including Alzheimer's disease. So that's a kind of very interesting thing to understand. Under stress, cortisol gets excreted. And that does just the opposite. It suppresses all these things, including oxytocin, and accelerates aging. Now, oxytocin also is associated with uh, increasing the uh, length of the chromosome tips, which has to do with aging and anti-aging. Okay? And what, what it shows is literally, and I'm going to say meditation, which increases the chromosome rate by 43% in terms of how that works. Um, They're called telomeres, which are the tips of the chromosomes. And the longer the telomere is, the uh, longer you live. That's kind of what it comes down to. So we know meditation increases at 43%. That does more than any diet by itself. Okay? Now, the cortisol blocks the telomerase, and the telomerase is needed to increase um, the telomere's length, the tips of the chromosomes. So I'm being kind of simple here, but it makes the point. So... The longer we're in happiness and life satisfaction and oxytocin release, the more cortisol is suppressed and the longer your telomeres get and therefore the longer you live. That's obviously simplified, but actually quite, quite accurate. So just kind of looking at the bigger picture of what's going on, uh, in that way. And so that's how the social relationships work. Um, and the importance of increasing your life satisfaction. Uh, now, there's some very interesting studies. One was by Dr. Ellen Langer at Harvard in 1979. She took people age 75 and older, and she put, it was a few hundred people, or a hundred people, she put them in an environment that was 20 years earlier. So 75, so they were 55 years old, and so it was the, uh, you know, it was a total environment. They had music from the 50s, they had all these things, and in 10 days, 
people's IQs improved, their fingers, which get sicker with age, got thinner, um, they got healthier, the wrinkles on their face disappeared. What just happened here? That's a, a pretty important little question, isn't it? And what we see is your mental state affects your physiological state. In fact, I will go so far as to say that our biochemistry and physiology is a reflection of our awareness. And awareness is, in a sense, using a food metaphor, the staff of life for all creation. So I'll say it again. Our biochemistry is a reflection of our awareness. So if we are thinking good thoughts, if we are thinking 20 years earlier, if we're seeing each other with love rather than looking to see to make people wrong, okay, we create a, a, a mindset that actually is the most powerful thing to creating a healthy physiology, which results in longevity. So I think that's a, a, an important piece to, to really uh, pay attention to uh, in this bigger picture. Now, the research by Turnit, who did an 80-year study from uh, 1910 to 1990, showed that uh, two other things, or three other things, were actually, again, more important than diet. They weren't focused on diet, but they were just looking at everything, following kids from five years up. What they saw that children who are conscientious, especially boys, live longer, up to about five years longer. Um, people who were hardworking, successful, you know, people, whatever they're doing, they also lived about five years longer. So the hardworking stereotype is actually, turns out to give you longevity. Now that, to me, is pretty interesting. I'll put it that way. So there's, there's more to it. I'm going to cite two other studies, both with about 20,000, 22,000 people in them. One was a 35-year uh, study in men. And when men followed these simple health patterns, regular exercise, healthy weight, uh, height, weight differential, healthy diet, they were vague about that. They weren't vegan, okay? Some of them may have been, but it wasn't a vegan diet. Very little alcohol, I'll say less than two glasses a day, 
and no smoking. That's five health habits. Exercise, healthy weight, healthy diet, relatively speaking, little alcohol, and uh, no smoking. They, uh, adults who follow this four out of these five had 60% less dementia and 70% less diabetes. These are simple habits. These are really complicated. Um, but they tell us a lot, okay? And there's another lifestyle one like that uh, where they had seven factors. Seven to nine hours sleep. And sleep is very important for regenerating your brain function. Uh, eating breakfast. Doesn't say eat Wheaties or the breakfast of champions. Just eating breakfast. No eating between meals. Uh, normal weight uh, with not more than ten percent variation consistently. Regular physical activity, less than two alcohol drinks a day, and no cigarettes. Now these are not like amazingly uh, stringent ways of life, really. But they found that people lived up to 33 years longer. Uh, and people who were uh, 55 to 64 years old, chronologically, followed these habits, were more like uh, people 25 to 34 years old. They found people at the age of 75 who followed all seven were like 30 to 40 years old. So we are not talking about longevity as being uh, an unattainable thing. We're talking about some pretty simple, basic health habits. And to me, uh, that's that, those two studies are kind of mind-blowers because, okay, so I'm, obviously I'm doing this 98% life-food diet. I've been doing it for years and years and years. I exercise. I do I meditate and do all these things, not for longevity, but just because I like to do it. Um, and these are like so simple for people to follow. Well, they're nowhere near that. We need to look at that whole picture. Now, I do want to note that they don't emphasize diet in either of these two studies. Now, is diet not important? I believe it is. But in the turn-in study, where I actually talk about up to 33 different uh, factors, it's not in the top five. It's number six or seven. In terms of longevity, okay? So those are the statistics with uh, about 1,500 people followed for 80 years. So I'm throwing out some ideas to understand that. I'm going to also talk about organic. Um, because a lot of people say, well, it doesn't really matter, nothing's really organic. The truth is nothing is really organic. But the other truth is that organic food is about 40% of the pesticides and herbicides. So you do well to go organic. Women who are infertile, uh, who go switch to organic, have a high rate of fertility and also uh, full-term healthy births. So 
what else do I know about it? It is between 20 to 70 uh, percent more polyphenols, which are very, very important antioxidants in it. It uh, Organic food has 25% more nutrition. In 343 studies, they uh, all showed that um, the organic food was significantly less pesticides and herbicides. Just going to get one thing to show. Um, so, 343 studies saying, yeah, there really is a difference between food grown organically versus not organically. So, I'm going to emphasize that. I'm also going to emphasize that organic is 25% more nutrient. And since 1975 to year 2000, roughly speaking, there's a 30% drop in nutrient concentration. It sure makes a lot of sense to go organic. Okay? Um, so, basically, organic has about four times less pesticides and herbicides. Doesn't mean it doesn't have any, because it's all in the air. But you can't nullify the fact that when you grow food organically, it's got one quarter of the amount of pesticides and herbicides. And that one quarter makes a huge difference in people's health in a variety of ways. So I just want to add the organic kind of little statement because that's a, a thing that people tend to mock. Oh, uh, it's all the same. Well, it's not all the same, according to at least 343 different studies. Organic does make a difference, and it is worth doing and getting. So I'm giving you this kind of broad overview of uh, what's most important for longevity and health. Healthy relationships. Good oxytocin, but healthy relationships, healthy loving relationships. What's happening today, and, and you know, is, is there's a tendency, a real tendency, to break down healthy relationships. A tendency to be very hypercritical. A tendency to seek polarity rather than unity. Those are things we need to pay attention to if we're going to turn this world around and help create a real awakening here. So that's the most important thing. And it's right there in this, you know, relationships, social relationships are key. And if you see what's going on with the uh, forces of darkness, their job is to turn everybody against everybody else. And great self-righteousness. Vegans want to criticize non-vegans and but, you know, it's working against the upliftment of the consciousness of the planet. And it brings us down into conflict and uh, uh, judgments that separate our, uh, us from each other. So I guess those are just things to think about. I thought of a lot of different pieces and facts. And so I'm going to invite Richard to come into the discussion to kind of add his thoughts. We do have different diets, but he's still my buddy, you know? And we've been friends for a long time, and we've known each other really a long time because he lives in Sonoma, Sonoma County. You did, did live in Sonoma County, 
And I kind of think I knew you from there, and then obviously in Arizona. So we've worked together, and we uh, we respect each other. You know, the hearts are connected. Not worry about his diet. You know, it, it'll, it'll evolve as, as the whole thing happens. So, Richard, go ahead. I want to hear from you. I think we've been friends and allies for, in my feeling, a lot longer than this particular chapter of the picture, you know, in this lifetime, but right. uh, in this life a long time, too. Uh, you said so much that was interesting. That the last little bit uh, on the relationship stuff about people thinking, well, we should have a, re- a good relationship and it's important for longevity and everything, but, you know, you're really making all these mistakes and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm justifiably critical of everything that you're doing. And of course I'm arrogant cause I'm right. And I'm in a bad mood because everything's terrible. Everything's justified that I feel. And it's too bad that it's not harmonious, but it's all your fault. And, you know, I think where a lot of this stuff comes from, it's not where it appears. And the reason that the spiritual and the life, physical lifestyle elements are, are connected is that all of this is a projection of spirit. And if you want to apply that in real life, a lot of times what makes people critical and depressed and cynical, bitter and all this stuff is because they don't feel good physically. And they're so used to feeling bad in their bodies on a physical level that they don't even notice it anymore. And they, their brain is trained to translate that into a fault of the other person. And so one of the things we've been looking at a lot in our other group is this one practice called Ho'oponopono and variants of that. And the, the essential core of it is take responsibility for what you experience in your life yourself. Forget about justice. That's a big distraction. It's totally love. And if you take responsibility and you feel like, you know, when your brain is saying the other person's doing all these bad things, not just in a relationship, but in your outside world life in general, and you say, how do I feel? We, we know all the criticisms of the other person. But how do you feel yourself? How does your body feel? How does your head feel? How's your digestion? How's your energy level? How's your tension level? And find out and learn what to do in a positive, natural way to correct those things and then see what you think of the other person. And it's likely to be nine different. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think, but that that all that, but, and that's the point is we need to think of where what we have in common and how we add that and spread that. Yeah, a lot of what seems to be the problem with the other person is actually us. It's called the eye of the beholder. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's amazing how everybody else seems to reform when you fix yourself. But the bigger picture is opening our hearts to each other and focusing on the oneness rather than 
how we're different. Yeah. And and we have so much more affecting everybody, not just when we sit in a formal meditation, but all the time. And we're broadcasting something that can actually be measured electronically. It's like a signature frequency of how we feel. And you're doing that all the time, even if you don't believe in meditating and you don't believe in all this spiritual mumbo-jumbo and everything, you're actually doing it 24-7. And if you're willing to become aware of what you're projecting, the unseen energy of emotion is super powerful. Everybody's affected at all distances. So since you're doing that now, no matter what you believe, you might as well become conscious of it and use it. Seems to me. We need to do something. It's one giant relationship between you and everybody else alive. And actually, even whether they're alive or not. But it's not just the relationships you know about. You've got a relationship with everybody. That's good. So, I'm just supporting what you said, basically. Yeah. And encouraging us to turn it into action. So I think what we need to see for you and I, some people have questions about, well, you're not vegetarian, you're not this, and you're vegan, how can you sit in the same room? It's like, we're giving you the model. How you're supposed to do it. The model is, we're brothers. Done. Not a question. Right. Yeah. And then, and then everything else falls in the line. I don't judge people by their, as I say, by their skin or by their religion or by their diet. You know, uh, I don't try not to judge people except how to stay out of the way from, from the darkness. Most of the friends that I have are eating meat and it has nothing to do with my feeling for them. The only reason I stopped eating meat a long time ago is that it's not a belief at all. I, I'm not even attracted to any belief system whatsoever. But um, I, I became aware that animals weren't things and of the depth of their consciousness. And I looked at it and I said, you know, compare it to my pet dog or cat or other animal. Do I want to strangle and him or her, I should say, not it. Do I want to strangle her? cut up their body and eat it because it's nutritious you know to me it started feeling not because of a belief because I don't care about beliefs well I do care they're destroying the world in a lot of ways but I saw that do that I would rather that was the most nutritious thing in the, in the world to kill and eat the animal I couldn't do it anymore I'd rather be malnourished because causing the harm, it wasn't an intellectual thing. It was a feeling of connection. I don't want to hurt you because you're part of me. And you get to the point where you don't even want to hurt plants. I mean, you, you do it. Plants are conscious. They're not things either. And so I want to minimize that. And there are ways that I'm looking at how to do that deeper and deeper. But that's my reason it's not. I don't want to be a member of an ism or, you know, any belief system because as soon as you are, it means you have to defend it. 
because it's part of your identity. And I just want to see whatever is true. But that was my reason for not eating animals, because I changed my perception of what it was. And it doesn't mean I want to go and force other people to do it or anything. It's just, it's automatic. When you get to a certain perception, you don't want to do that. And we're all helping each other to get closer and closer to an ideal of perfect harmony, you know, which is where we came from. And if we could do as much of that as possible while we're in these costumes on the so-called physical real world, we could change it from what it is now to basically a vision of heaven on earth. And that's not a function of everybody being a vegan. That's a function of everybody being tuned into love. And then the rest follows. Right? That's just what it feels like at this point. So my conversion to vegans happened when my wife was pregnant with her second child. And we both had this nightmare that the baby was a, a chicken and we are eating it. Wow. I didn't and know And then we both woke up and we became vegan. Boom. Wow, amazing. And that happened the same day to you and your wife? The same night, yes. Wow. And then in 1975, I got another message deep in meditation. And it is eating in a way that best supports spiritual life. The flow of the Ruach or what we call Kundalini and milkfish, chicken, and dairy clog the nadis, which is the subtle channels through which the spiritual energy flows. And then I so got even more reinforced with that. But that was a spiritual message rather than, uh, yuck, I don't want to do that. Right. Now, as it gets more sophisticated, and maybe, now we've got two things we can talk about next week, but... Um, I could go into a whole vegan discussion I think would be interesting to people. I think Yeah, we should we should do that. Uh, and you know, one of these things, the elements of getting closer and closer to what's true, is you have to drop the defensiveness and the ego and fighting about labels and all that. Um, what you brought up about difference in diets. The only reason I'm not a vegan right now, and I'm not defending myself at all, I could be wrong about absolutely anything, but um, I, w when I, I went through a lot of different lifestyles and diet experiments and macrobiotic and vegetarian and all different things. I'm, organic I stuck on because anything that's not organic, why would you want to eat more poison? It makes no sense at all. Um, if I don't have the money, I'll eat less. I'm not going to eat poison food intentionally. But um, I finally... It's not potential. It's a fact, okay? It's, it's, yeah. And I, when, when, when I changed from vegan, I mean, yeah, I was vegan for a while. And then I changed to raw vegan. And it just shocked me, the difference. And I listened to Dr. Cousins and Dr. Clement and Marcus Rothkranz and all these different people. <laughs> and it was shocking the difference that I felt when I changed to raw and then I listened to them and uh, explaining why that was and what I perceived about it 
And I just became clear to me, I never wanted to eat cooked food again because I wanted to feel good more than I wanted a temporary taste or something. And I was really addicted to taste of cooked food. Um, but what happened to me as a raw vegan, even with supplements, is I became like a prison camp escapee, emaciated, no muscle mass, no energy, no body heat, no interest in doing anything. And I, you know, you, you mentioned, Dr. Cousins, that sometimes vegans get low on protein and also on cholesterol. And I think those are critical. And, you know, people wanted me to get it. Almost all the raw vegans, almost, go back to cooked food of 20% or whatever. And I thought, wait a minute. If cooked food's not as good and you set aside taste for the moment and attachments and addictions and all that, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to try to figure it out with really complex supplement routines. I want to feel complete, and I don't want cooked food. And we're all transitioning back toward an ideal state, of course. But the only thing that I could think of to do if I wasn't going to eat meat no matter what, and I wasn't, um, was to become an outcast in the vegan community and a, a heretic, essentially, and see if I could do something with raw milk. And the reason I was open to that is it's in the Essene Gospel, and it's, there's a lot of old uh, citations to the yogis using it, and they were supposed to be pretty smart and not killing themselves with it. And I read the China study, and it did not differentiate between pasteurized, cooked, and poisoned milk, and it said it was all bad. And I said, no, that's not legitimate. You have to differentiate. So I, I was going to try it, and I got back all my muscle mass. It never did anything bad. I had no clogging. This was like 20 years ago. And I solved, and I've never had any interest in cooked food since that time. Now, the not good thing about that is not that the milk does anything bad, because in my experience, it absolutely doesn't. However, all the dairies, all the dairies, that are taking care of the animals and they say they're being compassionate and being, you know, really caring about the animals. And Well, they do until they kill them and they all get killed. And a few die of old age, but usually when you're producing dairy for money, which they have to to live, it, once the cow starts giving, stops giving enough milk or the goat, they're killed and somebody eats their bodies. So it's not, certainly not a vegan approach. And a long time ago, and they kill most of the males because they don't need those for milk. And that's really serious ethical issue once you tune in to not wanting to kill animals. And the answer to that was known maybe 5,000 years ago or when Krishna was walking around or occasional eating uh, milk when Jesus was walking around. But I've called Buddhist monasteries and uh, Hindu monast uh, temples all over the world. No one remembers. And so the only way they can produce dairy now is to constantly breed. And that guarantees that you have to kill almost all the males and most of the females when they slow down in milk production. And I don't know the answer to that yet. It used to be known. If anybody knows, please tell me, because I don't. 
But health-wise, I've been fine with that. So, But I think that's a really serious issue, and I haven't solved it. So I'm not coming across as having solved, you know, ultimate answers to anything. We're just helping each other as we learn. That's where I am with it. But that's where I get attacked from by the vegans in general. Okay, I think, again, the important thing is, uh, in terms of overall health, you know, uh, there's many, many factors, and one of the most important to get is a relationship. Right. The most important thing. Diet is important. Obviously, I live better lifestyle. Diet is about number six. Uh, on the longevity uh, kind of spectrum. But it's still, and it's still very important. There's more to it. I mean, uh, when an animal's killed, you're stealing its soul, you're stealing its life force. Um, when you eat it, you take the energy of death into your system and blocks the flow of the spiritual energies to the Nadis and the koshas, it goes on and on. So, there are many negative ramifications. The other thing most people don't think about is that you actually take the ego soul of the animal into you. Okay? And that lowers your frequency. Because you're not an animal, you're kind of a higher level consciousness. Now, some people may say, oh, everybody's the same, but <clears throat> most animals don't write history books. Put it that way, and that so that's uh, an, an important piece. Another piece that almost hardly anyone is not aware of is the, the Kabbalistic piece, piece, which is that uh, when people have created bad karma from themselves, they can reincarnate as an animal. And if you don't know what you're doing, and, and the, Kabbalistic tradition, you need, a, you need to have a certain prayer level, certain holiness, and really need to, to actually be a, 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 a Torah scholar. Then you can bless the food in a certain way that you release the trapped soul so it can again continue on its path. So there are all kinds of subtleties, but if you don't know what you're doing, you eat some meat, you can end up taking a soul of a person who's devout, and that will also affect you in the, uh, karmically because it, it creates a devolving in yourself too. It's a little complicated. Uh, I write about it in my book, uh, <clears throat> Torah is a Guide to Enlightenment. But these are real issues that people are aware of. And I'm just bringing it to people's awareness by eating me. Unless you really know what you're doing and give a blessing, and you know you're releasing that soul, then not really a good idea. Anyway, I know it's getting a little late for us, so um, I think we had a fun discussion here, and I think next week we'll talk about the reasons for being vegan. How's that sound? I could talk for a few hours there. Yeah, I think. Well, also what you touched on as far as saying grace, you know, which has devolved into kind of, well, most people never even think about it, but 
the ones who do, it's kind of a, an arbitrary religious thing where you have to say these words and then you can eat your food. It, it reminds me of the Emoto water experiment and the most powerful emotions that the lab, trained lab techs uh, projected at the water was love, were love and gratitude. And if you project that at your food before you eat it, a similar effect is likely. Right. Awareness affects physiology. Yes. And you can also do it with relationships as well. Yes. So I want to bless everybody and, and Richard and Doug uh, for all the, the beautiful sharing and for the audience for listening and sending in comments. And may we be blessed we all keep evolving to higher and higher levels as a collective whole. Amen. Aho Umatakyasin. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Cousins. That was beautiful. Have a good rest of night. Uh, right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, guys. So, incredible message from Dr. Cousins. And remember that relationship being important in your life is not just one relationship. You know, it's not only your husband or wife. It's everybody that you relate to, including even the people that you don't come into contact with physically, but are in your mind, in your awareness. What are you sending to them in your emotion? You know, it's an area that we tend to think is non-existent or at least unimportant. And you're sending out it's it's a huge field, like like Dr. Cousins said, we could talk a long time. But, you know, the idea of blessing people or cursing them, it's not only certain religions that do that, like voodoo and santeria and things like that, it's everybody. And if you become conscious of the emotional states that you're carrying around and what you're projecting to people, you're blessing or cursing people as every hour of every day. So might as well make it conscious. You know, this whole lesson is to become conscious for all of us. We're working on that. And if you become aware of what you're sending out to people, it changes your whole life and it, it really affects them. If you wish somebody well, even without saying a word, it, but that's the feeling that you're sending to them, that's really powerful. It helps them. And if you're thinking in a condemning way, toward them because like Dr. Cousins was talking about they ate the wrong food or you know they do something you think was a mistake or they you know are not as smart as you think they should be or whatever um, then you're cursing them with the emotion that you know is negative toward them those are real they have signature frequencies and it's not just 5G and nuclear radiation that has effect it's what you feel it's not so much your thought, it's that each thought has a corresponding emotional state that goes with it. If you check, get quiet enough, you can see that in your own thoughts, in your own mental chatter. There's an emotion with every thought. Those have power. And even though it seems inconsequential and like something unimportant, I think that's the outer shell of something very powerful 
that are rulers who want to destroy life on our planet at the top level, that's their game. Um, they're afraid that you might get quiet enough at some point to become aware of it and even to use it after that. So I'm suggesting let's take their guidance and do it and become conscious of what you're the thoughts and emotions you're carrying around and how powerful they are and decide what you want to be broadcasting. Are you feeling and thinking what you want to be sending out to the world? What if it was written in skywriting by a plane in the sky? Is it what you want everybody to see and be affected by? Your choice. And we're supposed to be focused on criticism of everybody else and fighting about it and saying everything is everybody else's fault so that you'll waste your whole life and not realize your own power. And I'm suggesting we all help each other do that. Okay, so anyway, stay in touch. We're on lostartsradio.com. And if you want to get into a situation of actively working on these things in yourself, we have a group called planetaryhealingclub.com. Um, you're always welcome there if you get to the point where you want to do the work. It's work on yourself, not in competition with anybody else. Uh, very powerful stuff. And then... Um, to help us spread the links because we're dealing with censorship especially with some platforms and most people have never heard of us still so help us with that and then if you want to financially keep us on the air because this is all commercial free we have donate button at lostartsradio.com and a subscribe star link which does the same thing um, if you have the means and you want to help us great and uh, give us feedback about the shows at the contact form at lostartsradio.com and suggestions for what you want us to deal with in shows or in Planetary Healing Club, anything in the realm of uh, health issues, lifestyle, world events, consciousness, uh, mainly solutions, how we can avert the future that our rulers are trying to bring us and so that we don't have to have what they want happen, a basic hell on earth scenario that's not necessary. There's no reason for it. We have the oppo opportunity to create the opposite if we're not too busy fighting with each other and saying who else's fault everything is. So think about it. You're carrying a lot of power. Take care of yourself. Get in touch with who you are and uh, make good use of your time. It's very valuable. And we'll look for you next time. Thanks for being here. Talk to you soon.